Welcome to the Money, Marketing, and Mission Show, where we are breaking all the rules when it comes to making money online. I'm your host, Mia Francis Poulin, owner and copywriter-in-chief at The Copy House, a boutique copywriting agency for mission-focused businesses who want to market their business authentically, ethically, and profitably. The Money, Marketing, and Mission Show is here to help amplify the voices of business owners who are out here doing big things, those who are breaking barriers for marginalized communities, redefining time freedom, and generally getting in good trouble to make our society a better place, and making money while they do so. So if you're up for an awesome conversation, deep talk, and a good time talking about money, how we do business, and how we do good, then settle in for a listen. Hello, hello, and happy April. And if you didn't know, which you'll know now, April is Autism Acceptance Month. And it's always an interesting month for me um, because many people know I am mom to a um, autistic kiddo and, you know, we embrace autism every day and because it's just our life and that, you know, it, that is what it is, right? Um, but in the past several years since learning about autism, or I guess being introduced <laughs> to the world of autism and the, and the spectrum of autism, I have learned one thing very quickly, and that is not to center my voice as a neurotypical individual, right? My voice does not be the need to be the main one that people hear. In my opinion, um, I would much rather give the floor to one other, you know, autistic individuals, uh, but other people who <laughs> are not me, who are, who have been on this path and working on the journey to to actually embody and implement things like inclusivity when it comes to neurodiverse or neurodistinct individuals and. That is why this month with the podcast, I'm really looking to center resources and people who really are truly advocates in this space, um, but are people that I believe that we can learn from, not just in personal life, right? You know, I'm, I'm, this is me talking as a mom of an autistic kiddo, but also from the space of business, of of the tricky business of monetizing disability, monetizing different ability, monetizing neurodiversity, right? Because it is tricky and people have a lot of feelings about it, right? And so one of the people, when I thought about this month and how I really wanted to center different voices and voices that are really doing the work of implementing inclusion in the workspace and in creating restorative workspaces that are actually supportive for people who are neurodistinct. Um, that person that came to mind immediately was Faith Clark. And I have known Faith about as long as I have been on this online space, which coincidentally, my son was diagnosed around the same time that I left my corporate job almost four years ago, which is bizarre to say <laughs> that it's been four years. And not only has Faith really taken me under her wing as an individual, I mean, I look up to this person so incredibly 
much because talking with her is just like a masterclass and everything. Plus, I can listen to her accent <laughs> all day. So it is my honor and my pleasure to introduce you to Faith. So Organizational health and teamwork specialist Faith Clark is committed to helping business leaders cultivate value-driven, diverse teams so that they can deliver on their business and social impact promises. Faith is particularly passionate about inclusion for BIPOC and neurodistinct individuals, grounded in her experience as a Caribbean immigrant and as a mother of a neurodistinct human. Faith's background in computer engineering, doctoral research, and numerous experiences with organizations who care about their social impact curates a high-touch, systematic approach to building strong teams, which has helped her clients improve operations, maximize productivity, and double their revenue. I am so honored to introduce you to Faith Clark, and here is the interview. Faith, it is always such a pleasure to speak with you. There's like a, a short list of people who I just could listen to them talk all the time. And you and your brilliant brain and your lovely accent, I just absolutely adore having any type of conversation with you. So thank you for being here on the Money Marketing and Mission Show. Well, you are on my favorites list as well. Like I, I so enjoy every conversation we have because there's a way that you get it in terms of life and complexity that um, many people don't acknowledge. So kudos, I, I, I love you. I love you. <laughs> I love you too. I'm so excited to talk. Okay, so let's kick things off with a question I ask everyone, which is how do you make money in your business? Tell us about it. I help people figure out how their business processes and business functions don't align with their deeply held values around, you know, equity and inclusion and, and having humans thrive in the workplace. And that's not the sexy way of saying it, but I realized that many of us really want people to feel good at work as business owners, but then they don't. So I help businesses bridge that gap, whether it's through an auditing of their process, like onboarding or something, or it's through workshops that actually provide some practice to get those behaviors right or something within the team or within the organization, or it's in a redesign of the culture. Um, those are some of the, the things that people ask me to do. And I, I do all that for money. <laughs> so that's how I make this money in my business. Yes. And what I really particularly like the word that stuck stuck out to me in what you just said is humans right and i think that i was having a conversation with someone not too long ago about how you know since the industrial revolution like we are commoditizing that's not a, quite a word but human beings right like right. how productive are you how much can you produce how do you fit as a flesh cog which is a weird way to say it you know into this larger machine yep yeah and so one of the things that here at the copy house we're really focusing on is how can we bring humanity back into the sales conversation, both on the organization side, but on the consumer side as well. And so I love that you are like, let's look at, we are humans. We're not machines. We should honor that. How can we build more supportive environments for these humans that make up your organization? So, And when we look at the words though, we have to own that we've used machinery words to define and describe how we work. 
You know, when we think of, as you said, human resource and even the input and what are the outputs of the system there, we've used machinery words to describe our, our businesses instead of words that talk about how living things, how living beings are together and thriving together. Right. And I think if we can shift just to, whoa, everybody here is alive <laughs> and wants to stay that way. And the clients are alive too then we have, like, we do have intuitive knowledge about what it means to be human, that we are just not, we parked it somewhere else. And then we came to work. And I think that, that we need to turn that back on. Yeah, that is so important. Like, I was actually thinking about this as well the other day. Like, we use words like pipeline, or even the word lead. Like, what's another word for yep. a lead? A yep. leash. Like we're talking about like people keeping people like dogs on, on a leash, right? Like what do we have hooked around somebody's neck? Like, mm, I don't know. I don't like it. I mean, people drop out of the funnel, you know? So all of our descriptions are so static, even though like I, I do my research on teams and a lot of the models are computer models for humans, for how humans work together. They're computer models and inputs and it's connectors. And it's not easy to change language. But language is so predictive of how we are in the world. Like I was looking up the meaning of the word work. Synonyms, toil, struggle. So no wonder it's so hard to have restorative work. It's an oxymoron just based on the ways we've defined work. So and we can talk about this all day, but I want us to focus in specifically on the topic of this episode, which is about creating those restorative workplace ecosystems, and especially through the power of inclusion. But I know that inclusion, especially nowadays, is like one of those buzzwords almost. And it's a bigger concept, but I think that people just kind of throw it around without having much specificity to what that actually means. So how do you define inclusion? Oh, a social psychologist, Claude Steele, I, I grabbed this out of, I think, one of his books. He said, Inclusion is happening when people feel grateful to belong, when people feel like they belong and they feel grateful to belong and they feel like they can thrive. And I was like, wow, right? I, I know I belong and I feel grateful for it and I can thrive. For me, those are the three conditions. And what does it take in any collective to help people know they belong and be happy for it and then feel like, the space is here to grow and to become all I want to be in this space. So that for me is the definition of inclusion. So that my challenge in the workspace is usually what are the micro behaviors? Yeah, 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 I know you have your policy. That's great. What are the micro behaviors that signal to people you don't belong, that signal you can't thrive here? What are some of the things that are going on on the, on the, like on the low level? that's causing that message to happen for people. And it could be static environmental things like, oh, we didn't realize that when we didn't blah, 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 that triggered blah, 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 because we're centering our own selves. And often the self that we've centered, there's a whole bunch of other people on the outside of that. Or it could be, I have really deeply held biases and um, prejudices and or whatever that causes me to hold myself back and therefore puts a barrier between me and you, in which case, no, you don't belong because I'm part of this group and you're part of that group. All of that interrogation is what's needed when we say we want to create spaces where people feel like they belong and that they can thrive. Yeah. 
So let's talk about this concept of restorative workplace ecosystem. Like, what does that even mean? Like, cause you mentioned that, like restorative work, it's an oxymoron, right? So how are you defining this, right? So that we can address that oxymoron, but also like make it a reality, right? Yeah. I mean, cause I, I could be saying, and I, I, in some places I do say work ecosystems, right? But the ecosystems that we have now, so ecosystem just trying to find another word that speaks to being alive. And we, we do understand, and we put it in biology or whatever, that you have a bunch of different living entities with a bunch of processes that happen between them that creates this overall idea of the ecosystem. So I'm saying, yeah, that's what's happening at work. But it's not restorative when the entities in the ecosystem, there's a zero-sum game. Somebody wins, somebody loses right? For this thing to win, that person loses. And often who's losing? People who are at lower levels of value. And so we have this, we, I don't know if you were recording when we were talking about this, but, you know, borrowing from industrial models and so on, we have this value chain, this value hierarchy among people. Some, all, all people are equal, but some are more equal than others. And the people that are less equal, the cost is greater to them and so we extract from them whether it's work or whatever and maybe we exchange some money or whatever we do and people leave work and then have to recover so i am challenging that entire experience and saying what if we saw this as the whole and everything in it needs to be feeling like it can do well why do we have to choose between profits and people why do we have to choose between emotional health and physical well-being or profitability or whatever it is what if we designed for the yes 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 and i think that that means while we can say yes we're going to design for that it means you know like i think with with um kendi's book on being anti-racist i think part of the the the, the focus on the word anti-racist is about acknowledging that racism is in the water Acknowledging that work as an extractive, harmful process is in the water. So for the work to be healthy, we have to put something explicit. So the, the, me saying restorative work is just a reminder. Like, how do we make this work feel good? How do we make this work nourish this human? How do we make the work, the, the feedback and the payback from doing the work cycle back in in a way that people don't have to recover from work especially now when um life has become life was always complicated but because we've we want to accept a wide range of difference at work like the, our boundaries between work and home is, is different than it was before because we have virtual spaces or we have hybrid work we have people who are getting different types of support in the workplace so the boundaries between your humanity and the work and so on is it's getting less. So then we have this awareness that when we go to work, where people are seeing more. And so the, even the sense of not being accepted, it can become bigger because I've, I've allowed my vulnerability to be seen by asking for some kind of support, or I've spoken up about ways that I feel marginalized or whatever. It's almost like it increases the vulnerability. Because now, now you have to really prove, right? And now you have to work through some of the, the issues and it can even be more extractive. Like, whoa, that was hard. And then you leave work <laughs> to recover from that experience. I think we want to all just be aware of where we are in the cycle and figure out what's a role your business gets to play in healing the violence of work, if you want to go all out. 
One thing that is coming up for me, and I know I'm, I'm kind of diverting from our, our questions here, but I feel like this could be a really interesting conversation. Since COVID has made the line, the boundary between work and home so porous, the ideas that made workspaces work for some people, right, for the, the, the leadership team, managers, and so forth, was this idea of being able to see, like, what people are doing at any point in time, like that panopticism, right? Like, you know, this idea that you you are never allowed to not be seen and seeing that you're being productive, right? Because um, you're always being watched. So like the cubicles with the half walls and all the open workspaces, which give me anxiety. Like the, the way my anxiety is set up, I'm like, being watched all the time is just not conducive to to me with as a person with a diagnosed anxiety disorder. But I think that what is interesting though is that now that we're in this space of people are still working remotely. Yeah, some people are talking about going back into the office, which is absolutely like <laughs> hysterical given that gas is $6 a gallon in some places. But, you know, we're talking about going back into the work into the workplace. But there are still people who are going to operate virtually and there are discussions on how can we monitor our people more. But it's so problematic to me because it's like you're supposed to be in a private secret space. Like we have we have brought work into this space that is supposed to be on purpose set aside. Like to me, it seems like virtual work is even less restorative. It, it, it is less able to be truly supportive of, of people who are employees because of the fact that there isn't that separation. But maybe I'm thinking about it weirdly. I don't know. No, I mean, it can be, right? What I realized with virtual work is that it, it, it exacerbates other problems that were always there. So I think if we have a work environment that says, and this can get me in all kinds of trouble, but if we have a work environment that says we have to watch our people to make sure the people do work, I think we have something else. I think that's a different model and we abolish that. And, you know, that's a different thing. So when we have workers, uh, staff, employees, contributors that can't contribute unless eyes are on them, then we need to figure that out and plan for that. You probably can't have virtual work if that's the case, but you might want to answer why is that? What's going on there? What's my goal? So then if we can let go of eyes on and figure out what kind of accountability structures we actually need to have in place and have people who can agree to those accountability structures, then we can now say, okay, that aside, I don't have to have people in the building because I need to see what they're doing. Then we can actually ask the pure questions. What kind of work is better done face-to-face than virtually? Uh, And when would I want to invite people in for really for that purpose? And can I give people the honest choice? A person who knows, you know what, when I'm at home, I get no work done because my kids just opening the door all the time and the thing versus a course situation. Because there are some people who've actually said, I get so much more work done during the pandemic. I've gotten then when I'm at work monitoring the stereotypes about my disability, monitoring the stereotypes about my gender or, or whatever it is. I got so much more work done when I was home and I wasn't thinking about that stuff. So there is this element of autonomy and choice that we could include. Where do people do their best work versus I say, I need to have eyes on you. The thing about redesign is that everything comes for question. Everything gets to be questioned. And we get to say, do I want to keep the answer I have 
or am I going to explore for something else? I think that that, that's the key, though, is that because as a society, we have been taught and conditioned not to question anything, to just take it all at face value, right? So having that curiosity, I think, is really, really vital because from there you can you can affect change. You can do something differently. But if you're just going along with the status quo, because that's how business has always been done, you know, a little trademark symbol next to that, then it's not, it's going to continue to be an unsupportive environment for people who are usually continually marginalized. So. Right. Right. And I think that question about how to support um, a colleague of mine just said that supporting her team virtually was so much harder and she's a good leader. She says that she, you know, she's always, you know, gifts and tokens and check-ins and really building the glue between team members. And she's acknowledging that her processes for doing that work better when people are in person than for when, when the people are virtual. So then that begs, begs the question of, is that a change of processes for building that glue? Is that let's have people in the building to work on those things and then have people choose their workspace. So have, you know, team cohesion stuff and certain kinds of planning and all that kind of connectedness stuff. We might say, hey, in-person is better. And then we might also say work where you want. We do have the freedom if we allow ourselves as business owners, leaders to say, let's redesign these, these pieces, these components, these members or participants in the ecosystem don't quite work well where we've put them. Where could we put them so that this whole thing just turns up in homes? I think hiring is one of the first places that we, we can get it wrong. Um, so hiring more of X, you know? And so I think people tend to focus on diversity as a measure, a horrible diversity hire. I, I think that, you know, so we get the black one. Listen, I, I went to a graduate, I went to Ivy League school and people feel like, oh, that was affirmative action. I'm like, great, bring it on. <laughs> I don't have a like, oh no, they didn't take me because my grades. I was just like, I'm so glad I, I, if that's the case. But yet what that is, is a numbers game. It wasn't someone saying, how do we help Faith, who is underrepresented in this community, actually feel like she can thrive and like she belongs and can thrive. So when we, change, we say, okay, we don't have enough you know, executives, whatever, whoever, and therefore we need to hire more, um, what we do is set the tone for violence and um, pain and marginalization in the workplace. Because what we haven't done is made the workplace safe. So you can see all these models of, oh, we hire more women and more women leave. And we hire more women and women stay and, and plateau in their career until you know kids are out of college and then they leave or whatever it is that they do because we haven't addressed how do we help people feel like they belong? Um, so I, I, when people say to me like, oh, where could we look for more black candidates? I'm like, yes, that's a great question. And when we bring them in, how is this going to work? How, how, are we, how are we supporting the majority culture so that they can make space? 
How are we supporting the people that we bring in and acknowledge upfront, hey, listen, this is a space where you might not feel like you can thrive or belong. And we know that and we want to change that and we want open dialogue with you about that. And here are some additional supports that might be helpful if you choose it. How do we own what is? Because it's not it's not a secret if, if the, the organization is predominantly white or predominantly male or predominantly neurotypical or predominantly Caribbean, then we're biased according to how the predominant group is. And we, it's, it's kind of cool to just own that versus pretending we're not biased and that everybody can come in here and thrive. Yeah. What I'm also hearing you say, though, is that there there has to be discussion, like there has to be open um, sharing of values, like like an articulation of the values as well, which I think that a lot of organizations, you know, even talking about you know, my company is something that I'm still iterating and being able to communicate and make sure that everybody knows what are we really standing for. There's that component to this process as well. Like, does everybody know what we're what we're doing here? Right. Because the the stuff that we are acting out automatically is invisible. So the thing that we need that we're saying, hey, this is who we are and this is what we do and we value these things and we're acting these ways. That thing needs to be said so much that people are sick of it before it begins to have even a slight bit of competition with the invisible stuff. Because the invisible stuff, in, in a moment, all you, all you need is, you know, two people to leave your team and you have a launch coming up and you're straight into autopilot. And the things that are not yet like part of how you breathe, those things don't get done. Those things get done when we're calm and peaceful. And who in small business world, like, who in business world is calm and peaceful when critical decisions are being made, right? So part of all of this is kind of like, how do we become so explicit that it gets a chance to kind of pull out these underlying um, ideas. Oh, this is so good. So leaning into that tip, what are a couple other ways or a couple other things that business owners could do now to tar- start taking a step forward towards building these more inclusive spaces and restorative work? So number one, there are no generic answers. I mean, there are a few generic answers, like listen to people and stuff, but People in your organization are the people who need to be included. That's number one. There are people right now in your in your business that don't feel like they belong and can thrive. Setting up spaces where people can talk about this in a safe way. So psychological safety, I think, is a priority in every business. And figuring out what that means in your business is an absolute must. Is does that mean? Um, you have uh, 15 minutes of every meeting where we practice vulnerable expression and we start in ways that it was it's safe. Like, you know, my dog died last week and I feel really sad about that and, and keep practicing vulnerable expression until we have some skills that lets us talk about things that really matter. Like I wondered, I was passed over for that promotion and I wondered if it was because I'm black and I know that it's not that that's an over thing, but it, it still crossed my mind and that it feels sad to have that thing cross my mind here in the space of people I love. That's not going to come if people don't feel like the space is psychologically safe. So I think every business owner, every everybody who holds space for humans needs to have practices that help people know it's okay to be vulnerable here. And that means starting with you. It's a hard call, but like, so business owners themselves need to be able to be vulnerable and then need to be able to invite vulnerable conversations on the regular 
so that when something is going on, you get to be the first to hear. And I, I, there was a corporation that did this by just, what did they call it? I don't remember a safe, I don't remember what they called it, but they just had a scheduled meeting. And it was, the, it, the purpose of it was not to solve anything. Whoever showed up at the meeting got to just express what they noticed in the organization around the topic. For them, it was racism. And it was just, people just talked and reflected on what they noticed and then reflected on what other people said. And then they closed it out with final thoughts. There was no agenda to solving, but it was just building this muscle to hear and to hear things that can feel really hard in a group of people who feel I'm doing a really good job accepting people who are not like me. And then like, oh, yesterday when we were talking, I felt kind of weird. Like maybe you were not listening to me because I'm a woman. Um, so I think knowing that that's going to happen and building that capacity, that feels really critical. That feels also really, really transformative. It also feels heavy, <laughs> but it feels like important. Like it feels really important too. I think it feels heavy because we're not used to doing it at work, but, you know, back to this idea of being human like humans have been processing and holding a wide range of emotions about all kinds of things and traumas for a really like all day, every day, all the time. And then we spend the lion's share of the day at work and we don't process those things. We experience them, they show up in our work, but we're not acknowledging them at work. And I'm not saying derail work for emotions, but I wonder if at the beginning, if your organization is not a space where people express emotion and then you start to invite it, it might swing the pendulum a little bit and maybe building the muscle for that is just part of the deal until we get to a place where we can talk about joys and celebrations and griefs and it's okay. Like we, we can just do that. We can talk about things that we feel about the work. I was disappointed when this client said so-and-so after I did all this good work, when, you, when I did this work and you didn't reflect that back to me, I felt some kind of way about that because I'm always, whatever it is, being able to have it safe to, to do that then allows people to be able to say, well, you know, is that expression in service to the project, to the work, whatever. But I think lack of inclusion just means that lots of fantastic information is under people's skin. And the information that we need to make the business thrive isn't available because it just doesn't get expressed. Oh, okay. I feel like that's the that's the audiogram for this episode. <laughs> I mean, of all of the gems like that. Ooh, that's, that's big. Let's talk about what's next for you. What's coming up for you in your business, Faith? I am so excited right now. I just, I want to tie this to what I'm doing, but I am in the weeds of conversations in one actual team where I interview them about all kinds of things and just listening to humans wrestle with how to think and act together in ways that feel healthy and restorative and high communication. Ah, oh, it's the jam. And so as I pull some of this content out, yes, for the PhD I'm getting rid of, um, I am so excited about saying we don't have to make the mistakes that big businesses are trying to recover from. We can actually design from jump, from scratch. We can pay attention to some of these things. And so I am coming up for me, I'm going to be launching a group program where we get to, this is for businesses that are, that already have teams and that have been working through the, wait, wait, how do we not do the harmful thing that we hated? And I was like, let's, let's figure out how to actually not onboard people, but invite them into this amazing thriving culture. 
and set them up so that the barriers to their contribution are gone. That's what we want to do. And then how do we help them thrive through development and through contribution while they're here? And then how do we support them in their lives through salary or something else? You know, so how do we reframe the conversation? Anyway, I could go on, but that's a group program that I have coming up in about in sometime in April. And in the meantime, I am just like in the middle of corporate conversations where we're looking at how do we retrofit is hard, but how do we redesign what the wheels are turning? Everything is happening. How do we actually redesign this small piece and that small piece with the big picture in mind? Um, so that's, that's pretty exciting too. Oh, I can't wait. I can't wait. I can't wait. I can't wait. So with that, with this brand new, amazing, uh, program coming up also, I cannot wait to call you Dr. Faith. So I'm just putting that out there. Um, <laughs> but where can the people get connected with you to keep up with what you're doing and what's the latest? Um, cool. So I have faithclark.com. My website is a good place to go. Um, faith at faithclark.com email. And I'm in social in, you know, just at two in the morning and five in the morning. So if you send me a message, I'll probably reply. I have um, a set of conversations I did called Decolonize Work that I'm going to be releasing soon. So if anybody's listening and wants to get granular about how to unearth some of these things in their workplace right now, uh, somebody in that set of conversations will really be helpful. So let me know and I can send you the link to some of the conversations. Love that. Okay. So this is our final question. I love to end our podcast episodes with a little bit of a share um, from both of our end. So what is one thing that is keeping you pumped up and moving forward these days? I don't know. I don't know that it has changed. I'm, I was trying to pause because I'm thinking, is it different? It's my kids. Um, I, I now get to be on the receiving end of things that I had only imagined. Um, with my kids, because now that they're adult and almost adult, like I am building friendship with them and I'm, they're thoughtful, amazing human beings. And like, where will they work? I mean, yes, they'll design work for themselves and they're entrepreneurial, but so I feel really excited about the future of work. And, and I keep the gold star of where would my kids work and how, what kind of space could they work in, in a way that they don't have to their contribution is their work that they don't have to hustle and fight the barriers to contribute. And so that keeps me pretty, like, I think after they are set financially, I might, I might lose some of my energy around that. <laughs> Maybe I'll go vacation spots then. So. Yeah. Right. I love that. And you have some pretty amazing kids. So I, I can see why they keep you going. Um, so for me, um, at this point in time, it is kind of going a little bit more analog. Um, so one of my favorite things right now is my moleskin binder. Um, I was having a stressful, stressful week, um, not too long ago. And my happy space is to go to a bookstore, particularly I love Barnes and Noble, but I also love me a good independent bookstore as well. But I was closest to a Barnes and Noble and I was just like, I need to be around pages and the smell of book glue and just <laughs> be over there. And, um, and so I just, I drove to Barnes and Noble and I left my phone in the car and I ran across this beautiful, 
feels good in my hand moleskin journal. And so even though I have this amazing technology, remarkable tablet um, that is great and connects to everything and all that stuff, I just was like, I need to be able to cut things out and paste them and write notes and just have it be messy and also make sense. And so I'm enjoying that and just kind of going back to paper and pen and just being, you know, taking a step back to have something more physical and tangible. So that's what's keeping me going forward. You know, at the beginning of the year, we did something similar and I feel like I want to do that again. The kids and I did Kwanzaa, Christmas, whatever, all together. And we every day wrote some thoughts and cut it out, wrote it on scrap paper and put it in and pasted it onto things and used markers. And it's fantastic. We didn't finish it. So we have a hundred pieces of paper half glued. But at the, something about touching things that slows me down enough to kind of pay attention to myself. So I love that. I might, I might, I might get some gluing and papering going on yeah, in my journal. Yeah. And also helps. I have sparkly markers. So that's also, so I can color code as well. <laughs> well, Faith, thank you so much for being with me. I knew that this was going to be an amazing conversation and it definitely did not disappoint. And so I appreciate you spending some time with me. Thank you, Mia. This has been fantastic. Thank you for listening to the Money Marketing Admission Show. If you liked this show, please do me a favor and head on over to iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts and leave a five-star review. It really helps our show get found and into the ears of the right listeners. And it would mean the world to me to know that you got value from the discussion here. If you want to get in touch with us, we're at the copy house for the word that's h-a-u-s on all the social media channels facebook instagram and linkedin and you can learn more about the copy house and how we do copy differently by visiting www.thecopyhouse.com and remember that's house h-a-u-s catch you later